The Big Inside is a proud supporter of Give Strength. The fitness industry generates billions of dollars a year, literally. But while companies get rich, all that money rarely goes towards anything outside the industry. And right now, there's a lot of causes in the world that could use that strength. That's where Give Strength comes in. Give Strength empowers athletes in all types of lifting sports to generate fundraising towards causes they truly believe in, raising awareness and funding through the enthusiasm for lifting and strength sports participation. Through exciting events, challenging social campaigns, and good old school lifting, Give Strength is changing the flow of money in the fitness industry towards causes that matter. Meanwhile, Give Strength allows athletes to earn true financial sponsorship. That's right, cash money directly towards your own personal progress in the sports you love just for being a leader in generating funding for causes you believe in. Give Strength is changing the game of strength and bodybuilding one life at a time, one dollar at a time, one cause at a time. Get involved and learn more at GiveStrength.net. Give Strength. How your strength gives strength. This time on The Big Inside, here's why you should never try to conduct a phone interview during a collegiate wrestling match. Ugh. And also, Professor Drag Queen. Uh, I think. It's the next workout for your ears, and it begins right now. It's another Monday night somewhere. Wait, wait, that doesn't make any, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, well. I, I guess it's time once again for the Big Inside. That was rough. All right. Broadcasting from the world-famous Public Alley 701 in the gender-normative city of Boston, Massachusetts, I'm Christian Mady, a.k.a. XN, and this is The Big Inside, intersecting and reconnecting what transforms the body with what transforms the world, and then turning them both inside out to try to figure out what's practical, what's personal, and what just makes the most sense. We're all about the conversation, not the education, but with our luck, you'll probably end up learning something along the way. I lost my place on the script. This happens. We're a professional athlete. Anyway, we got a hell of a show. We really did put a good show. We're not, we we can find this. We can figure this out. I called down, guys, I called down literally hours and hours and hours of recordings for this bad Larry. I, my ears are bleeding. Why? Why did I work so hard? Because I love you. I love every last little gem of a human being listening right now, including, and maybe especially, Gerard from the Netherlands. Yes, the Netherlands. Gerard dropped us a note recently. He he just slid into our DMs, as the kids say. And he said, this is him now. He likes the jokes that we pop into the show to keep the heavier topics moving. That's, thank you so much, Gerard. I, I, but I'm thinking we're probably, it just means that we're a lot funnier when translated into Dutch. But anyway, we also got word from Paul in Great Britain, simply encouraging us to keep up the good work. Incidentally, Paul also once had an independent podcast, he tells us, just like this one. And he agrees that if you like what we're doing, you listening right now, you should help us out with a few bucks over at our Patreon page, which allows you to directly support this show and me. Can you imagine? Patreon.com slash the big inside. I mean, you have right here a man producing literal gallons, metric gallons of headphone ear sweat for you just for this one show alone. And it's all for your entertainment. So my perspirant lobes would be so grateful, so grateful if you showed direct support for this program. It's literally, it's only a few bucks, just a cup, like less than a cup of coffee kind of thing. And it'll help us keep the good stuff coming. Patreon.com slash the big inside. And if you haven't already, please definitely go over and leave some stars or review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play or wherever. Those ratings, they actually help other folks find this show, and it gives us a little bump in the listing. So I'd appreciate it a ton, and my sweaty earlobes would as well. But now, let's move on to the big deal section of the show, and I'm very excited for this one. Um, as always, apologize for some of the varying phoned-in interview sound quality. But, you know, just try to think of it as, like, you know, artisanal audio flavor. Enjoy your flavor! But um, on this episode, the topics that we're kind of meat grinding are really complex. So make sure your brain is totally on for this. I mean, we're going to try and keep it light, as Gerard has noticed. Thank you, Netherlands. So we're definitely going to keep it moving. But, you know, it's definitely a lot of head stuff. And it's also a little bit unusual for a show like ours that slants towards the muscle type stuff. But we think you're going to like it. We love it. Let's have a listen. 
10,371 acres. A lot of potential in that much land. Not too hilly, plenty of trees, rolling grass. Good land, big wide open land. 10,371 acres of potential. What would you make of it if it was yours? What might it become if you had all those acres, all that potential? Where would you take it? What would you make of it? Maybe make a town. Because 10,371 acres is exactly the right amount of land if you were going to make a town in Texas, in the United States, named Euless. That's Euless with two E's. E-U-L-E-S-S. Uh, -E There's no I in Euless, Texas. Now, Euless is the kind of community that we think of when we think of regular old USA-style Americana. Everything there is, well, normal, regular. Everything in Euless seems typical of what you'd expect from a mid-sized suburb of a major U.S. city like Dallas. It's, it's, it's suburban, um, flat. Yeah, it's not hilly, but like, it's mostly flat though, but not flat, flat. On first pass, it's 10,371 acres of, well, normal. They've got the tree-lined streets and the local town heritage parks and, and the town hall sponsors bands in the park and CPR classes. You know, just like you'd expect of a regular town in Texas. Like, everybody is like, a everybody's a family there. We all watch out for each other. It don't matter where you are. It's just pretty normal. It's not rich, it's not poor, it's not flashy, but it is very well kept. And it's a larger sort of a town, almost a small city. You know, about a little over 55,000 people or so. You know, like three fire stations, two high schools. And it's in one of those high schools on those 10,371 very normal acres of land that our very normal story starts. Trinity High School, Euless, Texas. Trinity has been consistently ranked among the top 1% of all high schools for excellence in student athletics at the regional, state, and even national levels. Yeah, this is a jock school. A public school, but it has athletic programs that have been ranked alongside the most athletically accomplished high schools in the entire United States. Now, imagine being a kid in that school system, being a teenager in that high school. Imagine how important it would seem to you to be athletic. After all, this is one of the things that makes normal old Eustace special. It's incredible teenage athletes. So of course, any kid growing up there is going to get a little influence, going to become aware of what their body is capable of doing pretty early on in their teen years. Because that's how teenagers work when they're put in that sort of an environment, where there's a strong single focus in one direction, like toward athletics. During middle school and high school is when we're all figuring out our abilities and talents, right? And we're also figuring out how to navigate the society we're in, how to socialize. So if the society we're in has a strong focus on sports, well, you can bet that a good portion of the people growing up in a place like that, in Eustis, Texas, will become very aware of how their body plays a role in their identity. Now, it's not that Trinity High School doesn't have other programs for students like arts and academic clubs and the like. It's just that there is a particular focus on athletics. And that shapes how a lot of students learn to socialize through sports, which means the body is kind of a major tool for a lot of these students to learn who they are socially. I mean, it is for all of us to some extent, but in a sports-focused environment like the top-ranked Trinity High School, it's maybe especially so. Like, let's say you figure out that you're fast. Well, you might gain a little social lubrication by joining the track team. 
or let's say you've got near magical hand-eye coordination. Well, you could socialize through the tennis team. Or if your body is sturdy and you have like a gregarious intensity, you might learn to socialize in a team setting and, and play like football or lacrosse or whatever. Or let's just say you're really scrappy and love to horse around and get physical and you got no problem throwing down other kids. Well, you might take to wrestling. Like in high school, I would beat up on the guys and like a few of us would like really go at it. So like, you know, um, and that was because like they were bigger than me and they were stronger. And there it is. Bigger, stronger, and getting bigger. A boy in high school caught up in the excitement of wrestling and learning how he could do so much more in the sport if he was just a bit stronger, a bit different. And now, this is as normal as any story you might hear coming out of small town USA. A young athlete figures out that he wants to change his body in order to get better at the thing he feels most natural doing. And not just change his appearance, actually change the body itself. Transform his body, become more of an athlete, more of a wrestler to take the Eustace Trojans, uh, that's the team name, even further. I mean, are you bored yet? I mean, this story of a young guy's craving athletic body transformation is so common, it's kind of boring. It's a story that happens all the time. A young dude wants to get strong, or get tough, or get jacked, or get lean, or get yoked, or swole, or... Just, you pick the phrase. Because at this point, it's almost a cliche. The story of a dude who wants his body to become, well, iconic. To transform himself into the classic aesthetic of the athlete. And then that look takes on a higher value in his mind. You could even say it becomes precious. But uh, okay, okay, let's back up. Let's think back to when we're young. When we're trying to figure out a whole bunch of stuff. When we're like teenagers. And one of the things we do while figuring ourselves out is experiment with how we look. You know, to see if changing how we come across helps us feel better understood. And maybe try to figure out what's real. And I mean, who even are we? So like, think back a little bit to the first day of middle school or, or high school. And how you'd make that private internal resolution to reinvent yourself this year. Right at the start of the new school year. And we'd show up on that first day of school wearing totally different clothes than we ever wore before. Or maybe we'd join activities we had never tried before or go out for a sport to see if we liked how we felt about ourselves while we played and we're all trying out these new things these new ways to represent ourselves putting things on taking things away even trying to talk different or whatever just being a teenager just experimenting with it all seeing what feels comfortable and also seeing what feels false and for a dude who wants to be on the wrestling team of a high school that's ranked in the top 1% of athletics nationally, obviously, the body becomes as important to that self-expression as anything. And not just how your body works, but also how the body looks. Uh, yeah, I've always been to weightlifting. And if I never did, like... Any sports, I would, I would, I'd love, I love lifting. I've always fallen in love with the weight room. I've loved it. Now, this voice you keep hearing, calling in on the phone, is a dude from Eustis, Texas. His name is Mac Beggs, but I'll let him introduce himself. Okay, Mac, go ahead. Hey, hold on real quick. <laughs> Wait, what? I gotta get some for my friend. <laughs> okay, as you can see, Mac Begg is pretty much your typical college freshman. Nope. <laughs> Okay. Oh God, I, I have no idea who Parker is. Oh well, I guess that's Parker. I'll be, I'll be back. All right, sorry about that, Christian. <laughs> no problem. Can, can you just tell the people who you are, though? Um, hi, I'm Mac Beggs. I'm an undergraduate at Life University, and I'm also a wrestler there. Um, on the male team, as a trans male, um, in the 125 pound class division, and uh. 
<laughs> Perfect. Thank you. My coach was actually came from a duty college, and he he has a certification in strength and conditioning. And so he, when he came uh, my freshman year, he put us on a strength and conditioning specifically for wrestlers. And his thing was like form, form, form. Don't worry about putting up. He doesn't care how much you weight you put up. It's about how you can carry it for a specific amount of time. Since for wrestlers, wrestlers have to carry a certain amount of weight for a certain amount of time, rather than you know like lifting. 300, 400 pounds for like three seconds and then being wiped out. All right. So like anyone would expect, one part of Max lifting is about being able to engage the thing he loves, wrestling, just a little bit better. But it's also probably safe to say that maybe there's another little part that has to do with, you know, Max self-identity. Just, I just like lifting weights. Just, it makes me stronger and I like feeling strong. I just, I, I don't know. I just always liked it. I just always like looking at myself in the mirror and like getting that pump, I guess. Like any young guy who takes to the weights, he holds in his mind an ideal vision of what he would hope his physique would communicate. So, I mean, I guess, I guess the typical is like, I don't know, like a jocks anatomy, like he has like a four pack or six pack easel, like can eat like 10, 15 plates a day and like not gain any weight, like metabolism like super high and just like looks really lean and, and like muscly and I guess that's my ideal, like, sort of image, I guess. Yep. Okay. Pretty typical set of goals for a young athlete. One part of his body ideal is functional, but there's still that very pronounced part that is, well, social. And all that seems as normal as anything, except one thing. Did you catch everything Max said in his introduction? Mac Beggs, who is really in every other way, just a typical jock from a town like Eustis, Texas, is also a trans male. And somehow like this year, people thought that I was a male transitioning to female. And because literally I looked like so much of a dude, they thought I was transitioning to a female. And then they literally thought I was just male like wrestling like on the female team. Now, Mac's definitely a guy but he was born female. He was born Mackenzie, right? Mackenzie, so I just shortened it down to Max. But I mean, other than that, Max's idea about his body and wanting it to seem, well, masculine, you know, the all-American wrestling jock look that he described, it's pretty normal stuff for any young dude. Yeah, the story's probably not what you're expecting. This is not about how the development of Mac Beggs' masculine image and his muscles and his machismo is somehow different from other young dudes. This story is actually about how the development of Mac's masculinity is exactly what most people expect of a young jock in a normal all-American town like Eustis, Texas. A young guy who wants to create a masculine aesthetic, develop his body into a you know classically masculine shape, it's just pretty human. You could even say it's kind of normal. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, like, how I dress, like, every day, like, I think about, like, how, like, masculine, like, masculine, like, it would look. And then I don't even wear, like, certain pants because, like, I don't want to, like, my jeans to be too tight. And then, like, you know, maybe my hips will pop out a little more. And so then I won't look, like, as masculine. You know what I mean? And then, like, or, like, shirts that are, like, too tight. But, like, there's got to wear shirts tight. But, like, if that'll look weird on me, you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, you're, you're hitting it right on the ball. See, that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, about how back when we were teenagers, we would show up on the first day of school and say, hey, I'm a brand new person. And we'd spend those first few days or weeks or months or maybe every year trying on different things and experimenting with how we look and how that makes us feel about ourselves and whether that's really true to who we are. And that process, even though a lot of us start it when we're teenagers, actually never really stops. So, so I think that when, when we talk about what is, what is, oh, so actually I'll give you an anecdote. I did, um, I did an exercise with my students. This is Kareem Kubchandani. Hi, I'm Kareem Kubchandani and I'm an assistant professor in women's gender and sexuality studies at Tufts University. 
And let me apologize for the quality a little bit here. We were talking to Kareem while he was literally on the other side of the planet from us. He's calling us from the Indian subcontinent, literally. But um, so just a little bit of patience and let's get back to his anecdote. Uh, I taught a class on drag and we were talking about genderous performance. This was fairly early on in the class. Gender, like your gender, being a man, being a woman, whatever, as a type of performance gender performance. Now, some of you have heard this a ton of times, and this might be new for others, but it's the idea of gender, like being a guy or being a gal, as something you put on or perform, like a show. And I told them, uh, I got everybody up on their feet, and I said, everybody give us a pose of a straight white man. Say what now? Uh, give me a pose of a straight white man. Huh. So you had an entire class stand up and try to pose in some way that would make them automatically look like straight white men. You know, they all glazed over for a second and then they all had these quote unquote neutral positions, a hand in a pocket, crossed arms, just hands by the side. But but the fact that what they what they put on their body was so simple, right? It wasn't exaggerated. But, but the, that all of them did that suggests that there, it actually is a performance. It's not a natural thing um, because they could actually put it on. And, and it's interesting because my, some of my really feminine gay men in the class said, you know, that was actually very difficult for me to like, turn my feet straight and untilt my hips, right? They, they, it, 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 so it, it gave them language to say, oh, masculinity is actually something I have to put on uh, as opposed to assuming that, that it's natural. But, it, but I think it often goes unnamed and, and, therefore, and therefore it becomes really undescribable. Kareem is right. It, it is hard to describe because we don't really think of it that way, like the experience of becoming masculine. Choosing to change how we stand, how we move, the very shape of our muscles themselves. I mean, what do you even call that? The becoming more masculine or becoming any gender for that matter. There's just no name for it. Or no term that seems common anyway. But humans are doing it pretty much all the time. Like think about all these guys in the gym. These guys trying to build bigger bodies or or become super strong. And it's an aesthetic that we all kind of just passively associate with being a guy. In fact, most guys would just consider it a normal part of quote unquote growing up. So like, here's a question for you, specifically for all the guys listening right now. A question for every dude who considers himself in some way a guy, quote unquote, typical or otherwise. Here you go. When did you first decide to start acting masculine? When? Like, how old were you when you decided you wanted to wear guy clothes or when you wanted to start doing things we think that dudes are into? Whether it's being strong or talking with a certain tone of voice or, or whatever. You know, guy stuff. When did you start deciding you wanted all that? kind of hard to put your finger on it, isn't it? Probably because it didn't just happen all at once through through one magic decision. Like the way it did on that first day of school, a new school year, where we tried to wholesale reinvent ourselves. It was probably the result of a bunch of little acts and appearances that we picked up along the way. Bit by bit. Slowly assembling ourselves into something we now refer to, you know, as adults, as masculine, as a guy, normal. Yeah, um, I would say like fifth grade, like fifth or sixth grade, yeah, like junior high, like yeah, it was pretty young. Um, and then I always wore male clothes. I hated female clothes. I didn't want to wear it. Like I didn't feel right. I looked in the mirror and I was like, this doesn't look right. Like I don't like. Like I hate this. And then I would wear guy clothes, and I just felt so much more comfortable. I felt myself. I just hated how, like, my, like, how my chest looked. Like, I hated that. Like, 
I just didn't want it. Like, I just didn't want it. My mom actually came to me, actually. I was too scared to, like, come to my parents. Wow. Yeah. It was just like, do you feel, like, do you feel different? Like, do you feel like you should be a guy? And I didn't think she would ever come to me like that, but I kind of glad she did because, like, I kind of, like, took a deep breath in the car because we were in the car and talking about it. And I was like, dang, well, I can't lie because I, 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 I've never been able to lie in my life. And so, like, I was just like, yeah, I do. I do feel like that. Um, and she was like, you know, what that's called because I, I had no idea what that was called. And she's like, you're a trans, you're transgender, like you're a trans male. I was like, and she told me like what it meant, and I was like, holy crap, like that makes sense. And our gender changes through our lifetime. I grew up in West Africa, and my masculinity there was very different from when I when it was shaped by being in the being in college in the U.S. And I went to an international school surrounded by. Uh, African and South Asian and Middle Eastern folks who, many of whom were obsessed with football at English World Cup as well. So, And you're talking football like as in soccer football. Soccer, soccer football. Right, right, right. right. Yes, yes, yes. So that shaped a lot uh, a lot of what, you know, it shaped their bodies in, in how they played, right? <laughs> a lot of them had thick calves because of that. And that's something I realize now, you know, and we, we talk about like swimmers' bodies, soccer player bodies, wrestlers' bodies, but they're all shaped by the sport, right? That's one of those moments where we see that these muscular bodies are not natural, but are shaped by particular activities. I think more than just um, masculinity as natural, there's also this question of desirability and mobility and wanting people to like you, right? It's not just, I, I want this for me and, and for my culture and my family. It's, it's, there's an outward gesture, right? You want people to look at you. Uh, see, there it is again. The idea that our gender is something we're trying on or putting on, something we do for social reasons, to be seen and maybe understood. On the one hand, our idea of what we think a guy or a girl looks like is shaped by the things we do, soccer or wrestling or whatever. But on the other hand, we're also kind of inventing it as we go along. We create our gender as much as it creates us. Think of it this way. It's like we start out in life as a whole lot of acres of wide, open, potential land, and then we start building who we want to be on it. My first day uh, at college, I walk into the common room and there were a bunch of American football players who had come early for preseason. And I thought they were all 35 years plus, right? Because I'd never seen a room full of men that large. I hadn't seen bodies like that. And also I'm 5'6", so they looked huge. It was also a moment in which I like uh, was, you know, I, I didn't realize that I was doing gender wrong myself in, in the U.S., so I would take my stereo into the, the common bathroom and play Britney Spears because I liked it. And, and some of those very football players would make fun of me for it. So I was, I was, I was learning a lot. Eesh, doing gender wrong. Uh, don't you kind of hate that you know exactly what he means? Because I think that we've kind of all had that weird moment when we were young, when we thought that what was just... Uh, normal guy stuff or girl stuff or whatever, or at least passable, ended up being something that society kind of didn't get on board with. And it's those weird, awkward moments, you know, where we feel totally out of sync with our peers, that we quietly begin to understand that expressing a gender, just being a guy or a girl or whatever, has a lot to do with how we act, how we perform, rather than just something we somehow magically know. Well, I'll also tell you, I think there, there's there's that, because I come from the performance end of things, I think there's the masculinity has to be brought out, but I think there's actually so many ways that our bodies are shaped for us. I do drag, and I do feminine drag. Really? I do masculine drag, but probably not very well. <laughs> right. But when I started performing, I couldn't find things that fit. Right? They, they just didn't look good on me. Um, until I, start, I, I had a mentor who helped me pad my hips. And then I put on a dress that I already own 
and it suddenly fit my body. And it made me understand that like clothes are cut to produce a body. The, the way that clothes are shaped actually shape our bodies and tell us, oh, you have to make your body to fill out that sleeve, to make that V shape. Otherwise, it, it cl- it's too tight or it's too loose, right? So I think there are ways that the, the world tells us that our body needs to be a certain shape. So it's not just coming from the inside. It really is also cut for us. You know, Max said something very similar to that earlier about how clothes kind of force ideas of gender that don't always match up with what he had in mind for himself. I don't even wear like certain pants because I don't want my jeans to be too tight. You know, maybe my hips will pop out a little more and so that I won't look like as masculine or like shirts that are too tight, but like that'll look weird on me. So is gender just something that's being forced on us from the outside? Is what we think a guy is, is something chosen for us? And we're either always trying to fit into it if we like it or fight it if we don't? So one one of the things that we understand within gender studies is that, and in critical social studies in general, is that a binary exists to create a power structure. Okay. It, do, it doesn't exist just because things are different. Okay. Well, um, well, let's pause that for a second. Th- that's that's kind of a big one. Binaries exist as a form of control to set up a power structure. Wow. Okay. That's a pretty heady concept. So maybe we can, you know, break it down and make it a little easier to wrap our brains around. <clears throat> let's say you've got a busy day ahead of you. Say you've got a whole bunch of things that got to get done. You've got errands to run and financial concerns to manage and calls to make and well just all sorts of chores demanding your focus now one of the things you could do is just barrel into your day with no plan whatsoever and just sort of see what happens probably won't work out too well but yeah that's a way but another thing you could do is set a list of priorities like a to-do list and then you could decide which things are the most important for you to do first versus which ones are less important and you can do those after Or you could set up your priorities based on how easy a task is, doing the easy ones first and the difficult ones later. Or maybe you could set the list based on which things have urgent deadlines and what things you can just, you know, leave for another day if you have to. Obviously, this kind of organization is a way for you to get control of a lot of different things. You just set up a binary system. Important versus unimportant. Easy versus difficult. Urgent versus inconsequential. Whatever. And then you can use that binary system to corral and control all those things into a system that empowers you to get things done your way. This is a rough approximate of what Kareem is talking about, except applied to societies. It's what social scientists and scholars research, how we set up huge binaries in society, like masculine versus feminine. And then these binaries give certain parties control and cause certain parties to be controlled. And so when we say something is masculine and and masculinity is often read as natural, something is feminine and femininity is often read as false or artifice, um, those things happen in order to give masculinity a credit that it, it can wield over femininity. Masculinity is muscles, right? It's in the body. Whereas femininity is lipstick, it's, it's put onto the bottom. Okay, okay, we got another concept here. Hold on, hold on. And this is actually one to kind of think about. In our society, and by quote-unquote society, we're mostly referring to, like, North America and specifically USA culture. Although in this globalized world, we could probably also include a lot of other places. Anyway, anyway. In our society, we tend to see masculinity as something found inside the body and femininity as something you put onto the body. So you get that? Society sort of acts like masculinity resident in the body, femininity something you put on. So like in our everyday culture, masculinity is portrayed as an attitude, as a quality of power and aggression. Crush your enemies, see them driven before you. They hear a lamentation of the women. Or it's portrayed as a quality of the body with muscles and shape. First time I'd ever seen anybody, any dude's body, look like that. It was like a Greek god chiseled out of stone. And I was mesmerized. 
Or masculinity is seen as like an internal innate confidence in yourself, like being super competent at everything you do. I told you all that I was the greatest of all time. I told you today I'm still the greatest of all time. Our society handles masculinity like it's something that's already inside a body and just, you know, needs to be expressed. Now, this wasn't some decision made by some all-powerful committee somewhere. This is just how our society has evolved, how we've developed, and how culture has passed ideas of what a man is down from generation to generation. Like, you know the phone game? Where you try to pass a message by whispering it from one person to another, and then how the message gets distorted the more it gets whispered? And by the end of the game, the message is nothing like it was originally. You can think of how society handles gender that way, as ideas keep getting whispered, in a way, from generation to generation. And then as they get passed along, certain aspects get, you know, exaggerated, like masculinity being something inside the body and femininity being something you put on the body. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Our society tends to see femininity as, you know, cosmetic, as something worn or something you apply to your body. Flawless skin. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's family. But we don't consider femininity as something that's just, well, resident inside the body, the way we consider masculinity. And now, I, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. <clears throat> Bullshit. Right? Like, you personally don't at all think that way, of course. And where do we get off on telling you that, you know, society tells you this and we think that way and blah, blah, blah. It's a little broad. It's a little blanketed. I get it. But keep in mind that this is not a description of how any one individual acts or thinks. Like, you might think differently. This is just how our society tends to represent gender in clothes, in media, and in activities. Like, think of how we dress. Like what both Mac and Kareem mentioned about how clothes kind of shape us. Men's clothes are often designed with the idea to show off popular ideas of the male physique, of broad shoulders and a trim waist and strong arms, designed to show off things that are supposedly already in a male body. Even suits are cut with a V taper. And it doesn't matter how you're actually built because the style of men's clothing is often to imply that your masculinity is in your physical build. Yet for women, clothes seem to be a little bit more decorative. Women's clothing tends to have endless variety, endless designs and, and colors, and is typically cut to hide physical body variety. Likewise, women's cosmetics outnumber any male grooming product selection by a huge ratio. Yeah, yeah, actually, think about the two words I just used for a second. Cosmetic and grooming, those are just like normal words, right? And they're what we use every day in society. But then think a little bit about what they imply, about how we think. Society commonly encourages women to buy cosmetics, to put on a look of femininity. Femininity is cosmetic. But men, meanwhile, are said to groom themselves. Like, as if for men, the masculinity is already there on the body, and you merely tend to it and tidy it up, as opposed to apply it like makeup. See the binary? The binary in how we are taught to style ourselves, cosmetic, put it on for femininity, versus groomed. Just assume it's there for masculinity. It's just in our society, even if no one individual actually outright thinks that way. And it's a binary that sort of implies that because masculinity is supposedly in the body, that it's also maybe more authentic and therefore can be mistaken by society to maybe be the more privileged of the genders. Because, I mean, I think that if I will, let me say this, and this is the thing I think is actually really quite important. The word gender is super messy and is not adequate. Okay, now I'm bringing out the heavy guns. I, not just one professor. I got two <laughs> professors up in here. This is Stefan. I'm Stefan Pennington, and I'm a professor of popular music studies. And I'm so glad we got him on this topic because he's hard to catch. Uh, 
Uh, you know, as a professor, I don't ever have days off, really. Right. Um, I'm glad you're here because I'm just not that bright. And this is really a hairy topic. So what was it you were saying about gender? It is a conflation of at least three different things that are not the same. Okay. Well, this is important. So let's give it our proper attention, please. Coming up next, sports. But first, we go to Stephen Pennington with the three things about gender that are not the same. And they are gender identity, which is your relationship to your body, you know, what you sort of imagine, your internal sense of what your body is. Gender presentation, which we might sort of say masculine, feminine, androgynous, right? And then uh, societal gender roles, like what society expects you to be and how to behave. And those things are different. They may be related in some ways, but they're different. So you can have a gender identity that says, I, I, you know, I am male and want sort of to sort of do things to sort of make that manifest. But then your gender presentation may be any number of things. So what it is that you're desiring when you're sort of wanting to align your body may or may not have anything to do with masculinity, hypermasculinity, femininity, androgyny. And that's an important thing. My sort of sense of internal sense of self is not necessarily the same thing as who I want to model myself off of, right? Those are separate things. Okay, got that? The term gender covers a whole bunch of ideas. But when we use the term commonly, it, it never really quite covers everything. Like there's how we feel about ourselves, like how a young guy wants to make his body seem more like what he thinks masculine is, like what Mac did. Thing one. Then there's our gender presentation, which is how we sort of communicate our gender, like how our gender gets seen and interpreted, like what Kareem was discussing. And then there's how society expects someone to be, which we also refer to as, quote unquote, someone's gender. Thing three. And this is the one we pick up on all throughout life. It's the concept of gender that really does intersect how we understand our own body and maybe even what we create out of it. And yes, I also did bodybuilding. I mean, I was in the army, so I was very fit, did a lot of working out and I still work out. Um, and getting the body would allow me not to feel dysphoria that would sort of make me comfortable and let me be home in my body uh, was great and it was wonderful. But then I still have the ability to work through different forms of uh, presentation. I was that, you know, the 90-pound the weakling in the Charles Atlas ad. Uh, and that was fine. I didn't care, right? When I joined the Army, I ended up gaining like 10 pounds of muscle mass and eight weeks in basic training. Wow. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. And that was a moment uh, in basic training when I learned, when I actually started getting a relationship to my body because before I didn't really exist in my body, I just was like a little brain floating around in my body. And you just, and you know, and it's fine, like you exist in the world, you're all right, uh, but you, you're not really embodied. And when I joined the army, I, and I will say, there are a lot of things about the army that were challenging uh, and difficult, but I gained a relationship to my body that was pretty amazing in certain ways, and um, I became a fan, I suppose, fan, it's difficult, a follower um, of, of bodybuilding, specifically female bodybuilding at that time. And the 90s were an interesting time for bodybuilding. There was a lot of changes happening then. And this was still when, I mean, this was the time period when female bodybuilding was still a thing and was not sort of suppressed, right? You had Bev Francis and Linda Murray. Right, right. These were big names, like for people who yes. followed the sport. And, you know, yes. we don't think of it as confronting gender. Right. I mean, it was, but it, it was an amazing time. This is before, basically, female bodybuilders were dumped in favor of uh, fitness competitions. Oh, that's a whole other topic. And it was, you know, and so I was in that moment where I was like, this is really amazing. And I didn't, I did not um, receive these women's bodies, these... Uh, hyper muscular bodies as masculine. I just thought they were they were women bodybuilders, and that was awesome, and I really loved that. So like I didn't necessarily, and I still don't necessarily equate muscularity with masculinity uh, because that wasn't the sort of space that I came to it from. But one of the things that was so powerful and really wonderful for me about moving into this sort of particularly this bodybuilding space, was that it was all about paying attention to your body on these micro levels, right? You, you don't just do a deadlift. You're actually, okay, hold on a second. What are you doing with your body? What's happening with your knees? Like really 
being in the moment and actually having to visualize each of the muscle groups when you're lifting. And I think for a person who had who was coming through dysphoria, where the way that I got through it was by disassociating with my body, having a moment where what I was doing was actually paying attention to my body and myself in my body and every fiber and what that bicep was doing and and right it was it was so empowering and wonderful and it wasn't about um, machismo right it was about coming home to my body and really learning all of the contours of my body and what it could do in a way that I hadn't really felt since I was in the army but even in the army it wasn't the body that I needed just yet so it, that could only be partial and then having having that journey of sort of thinking about this relationship with my body as something physical and wonderful was just, I mean, it's so good. It was so wonderful. And I, I will always uh, value that. I think you can probably tell where this is headed because Stefan keeps mentioning that he had a dysphoria, which is a pretty specific condition. Stefan's journey with exploring the shape of his body wasn't just to look more masculine, as if more muscles was going to make him somehow more of a man. Stefan's bodybuilding was literally helping him create a framework in his mind, understanding his body as separate yet relevant to the aspect of his gender. Now, I know that at first this may sound a little muddled to some people. I mean, it's a lot of stuff going on. But like Stephen said, that's just because this gender stuff is, well, kind of inadequate for explaining the more nuanced areas that come up around individuality. But even with that, there is, once again, that same questing after a shape for a body that plays such a strong role in our personal development of a gender identity. Look, the body is just a lot of potentials. Building muscle, learning a sport, even how we stand. We have tons of open space to build to create an expression or performance of a gender that works. I transitioned in 2000, so that it was the school year of 2001, 2002, right before my 30th birthday. I was like, I was not gonna turn 30 and not have, a, and not have started my transition. So mm, probably, probably like December of 2001. So it's been, you know, like 18 years now. Now, obviously, the idea of transitioning, whether transitioning gender or even transitioning your sex, is probably going to seem exotic to a lot of people. But it's not hard to see how a huge part of it emanates from the same human process that we all seem to go through to create our identity. Here I'm particularly talking about the way representing ourselves often means reshaping and recreating the body itself whether through performative gestures and styles, or even redeveloping our muscles and features of the body directly. Because aren't so many of us kind of redeveloping our bodies all the time in line with our identities? Building or reshaping the muscles or gaining and losing fat, uh, we're recreating our shape according to who we are and what we do all the time. So while this may seem like a lot, the basic idea of our body aligning properly with our identity is pretty, well, normal. It's so normal, it's common. To connect how our body is shaped with how we want to express our gender or how we want our gender to be understood by others, we all do it. Whether we are transitioned individuals or just, I don't know, regular guys from a place like, well, like Eustace, Texas. Um, well, my body's really changed. Um, like I've lost a lot of weight, and like my muscles kind of more developed, so I have a, like a more like defined shape. But also like my facial hair, like that's different now. 
and like how I talk, just how I present myself. Like I walk around with like a confidence. When you think about it, we hear this story all the time. Someone changes their body. They literally alter the literal flesh. And somehow, it's more honest. It's more real. They're more at home. They're more confident. We, I think we need to understand it as a, as a movement because within trans and queer communities, non-binary folks are actually working very, very hard to be taken seriously. But it's also, I mean, I, I would say that there's a, uh, an undue burden placed on trans people, which is unfair. And the undue burden is that society wants people to do certain things, right? They, there are certain roles that society wants you to function as to make them feel better. Yeah, and it seems like everything is set up that yes, way. Yes, everything, everything. And so, you know, if you are old, they want you to behave a certain way because we want to imagine certain things about old people. If you're young, everything, everything. And one of the things that trans people, let's say that cis society wants trans people to function as, is as spectacle. And particularly um, uh, sort of an, an unrecognizable spectacle. Right. A freakish spectacle. Yeah. A freakish spectacle. And this comes from both uh, progressive and regressive spaces, right? So re regressive spaces, the imagination is that the, the trans body can never be normal in order to prove some kind of essentialist gender ideas and they've got their thing. But the progressive side will often do the same thing. They will say the trans body is never normal and isn't that so great because it is the job of the trans body to sort of disrupt normality. Right. And no one asks non-trans people to do that. <laughs> The tricky thing is that oftentimes when trans people just exist in ways that other people exist, there is pushback against them that doesn't happen for cisgendered people. If you are a, a if you're like a, I don't know, average dude who maybe goes jogging, lifts weights, and I don't know, you've got a floppy hairdo, whatever, you got your thing going on, people don't tend to critique you <laughs> as being somehow like because it is not assumed that your job as a cisgendered person is to destroy the gender binary. Whereas there is often pressure for trans people to do that. And that if trans people are just trying to actualize who they are in ways that make them feel comfortable, people will sometimes critique them for that. And that is unfair. A lot of people from high school, like, didn't want to talk to me because, because of that. But, like, a lot of people did. It is not wrong for transgender people like for a trans man to work out and to sort of be traditionally masculine whatever that might mean there's nothing wrong with that and i think this is where when i talked about earlier com complicating gender and breaking down the term into three different types right gender identity thing one. gender presentation thing two. and gender roles thing three it is not that gender itself is oppressive which how people want to frame it right gender itself is not oppressive Societal gender roles that are oppressive are oppressive. The problem is not that uh, as a woman you wear lipstick or as a man you, I don't know, whatever you do. The do problem, sports, yeah. Yeah, you do sports. The problem is that society says if you're a woman you can't do sports or if you're, if you're a man and you don't do sports there's something wrong with you. But there's nothing wrong in doing sports. There may be something wrong in doing sports in a way that gets you drunk and punches people in the face. Oh, you've seen me play sports. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with doing sports. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's all these, you know, ridiculous messages that society places that feeds into that undue burden on trans people. Yes, that's right. And I think that it's important to sort of separate gender presentation, which can be a liberatory thing and is often sort of personal, and societal's gender norms, which is what society wants you to do, which can often be oppressive. But those are not the same thing. And we often conflate them. Like, just because you're a bodybuilder doesn't mean that you are upholding a narrow idea of society's gender roles. The way we shape our body expresses something about our gender, but it doesn't necessarily define what that gender is for others. Only we can define our gender. Only we can build our body the way we want it built. We're made of potential. We all come into this life as, well as sort of a big, vast, open space. Acres and acres of personal potential. Similar to how Eustace, Texas, 
was once just 10,361 acres of blank, plain, pure potential. Now, if you had that much land, what would you build on it? How would you build? What would you do with that much open space to make it feel like a perfect place for you to live? Eustace may seem pretty normal, pretty regular as towns in the USA go. And the way Eustace is built doesn't dictate how all the other towns in the USA should be built. Eustace is just built for Eustace. Just built to suit who lives there. We're all kind of like that. We all build ourselves according to what makes sense for how we live our lives. For how we care about the world around us. It's normal. It's regular. It's human. We shape our body's potential based on what we want the world to know about us. Yeah, I'm just a regular and a normal dude. But I, I, I fuck with it, to be honest. Like, I, I like it. Like, it just makes me feel like I can just kind of breathe for a second and just kind of like be like, hey. And I'm just kind of like being myself. I'm more of like an introvert. Type of person, so like I guess I kind of like like you know just being that average dude. Just being an average dude. Mac Beggs loves wrestling. He likes dating girls. He loves his hometown, Eustis, Texas, and he loves the gym. Loves hitting the weights, chasing the muscle pump, feeling strong. He likes feeling masculine what our society considers masculine. So, he changes his body every day, little by little, to be more like that regular, average dude who loves throwing other guys around on the mat from a small town outside of Houston. This is about as normal a story as it gets. Because a lot of us change our body to express who we are, to express what's true. Whether we're just changing how we look, with clothes or haircuts, or whether we're making longer lasting shifts like tattoos or building muscles. And it's pretty common for young guys to want to chase a shape that they learned was masculine. You know, what a guy looks like. The all-American jock look, or the bodybuilder build, or the lean athlete with the abs and the arms and the V-taper, and you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes shaping the body is a form of expression. It's how we build on all the potential we live within. To tell our truth. To be seen. To be understood. And sometimes, we're just building our body to be seen as, well, normal. Thanks again for stepping inside the big inside. And we'll be back again real soon to throw you down on the wrestling mat of life with the macho strength of the physique world. Nah, that's a B effort. Okay, it's passable. Like I said at the top of the show, if you appreciate all the work we put in, I'd be really grateful. We'd be grateful if you showed us that. Go throw up a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play or Anchor or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're kind of everywhere right now. Those little ratings help new listeners find our show, and it only takes you a few seconds. It's free, and it's quick, and hey, karma is real. Better yet, go be a real friend of the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thebiginside. Hey, we pretend this is art, and now you can too, starting at only two little bucks a month. Two bucks, and you're helping us out. Like, it's what could be more nice, right? You're a true friend. We really do rely on you. Yes, you listening right now to keep independent work like this alive. Patreon.com slash The Big Inside. And if you do become a patron, I promise you, you're going to get your very own AKA nickname given out right here, original on the air, totally unique. Again, artisanal stuff just for you. Everybody wins. Questions? Comments? Ideas? Love what we do? Hate what we do? Look, we want to hear from you like Gerard and Paul. Become a big mouth by dropping us a line through thebiginside.com. Leave a comment on any episode's show page at thebiginside.com or on our Facebook page. And speaking of staying on the air, The Little Insider is next. But first, this. 
The Big Inside is brought to you in part by Saisei Sports. The world of strength and bodybuilding is full of hype, but big claims, bold statements, and bright spotlights aren't what makes these sports great. What sparks your passion is the ability to take your best and make it even better. And believe it or not, there's a word for that, Saisei. Saisei Sports is dedicated to improving the world of strength and fitness through innovative ideas, building local community, and delivering elite standard supplements like their premier product, Rekt Pre-Workout Formula. Rekt is not filled with hype and surprises. Read its label and you'll discover complete transparency, a product made of higher doses of ingredients than any other pre-workout on the market and maybe in the world, at ratios backed by science and common sense. Discover why more and more strength and bodybuilding athletes aren't just trying Rekt, but staying loyal to the product that may just be changing the world of lifting for the better, which is the Size C Sports mission. Learn more about Rekt as well as learning about other missions Saisei Sports is undertaking at www.saiseisports.com. Saisei Sports, it's your best, reborn better. As you know, we like to end each episode of The Big Inside with what we call the Little Insider. It's where we take something we have personally been up to or saw or just really liked recently that was so good we want to recommend it to you. A little curated nugget of an idea ripped off from the folks on our show. Basically, this is where we take something we recently did, we recently saw, we recently ate, or recently thought, or whatever, and then turn it into a recommendation for you guys to maybe go try or do or watch or read or whatever for yourself. So, Mac Beggs, you're going to be up All right, for... Man, okay. I got well, it's, it's really like people might think it's weird, but like... Weird? Like, have you heard the show? It. Okay, all right, just go for it, man. So, I have a cat... And I have a, I have an emotional support animal cat. Okay. And so I was looking online and I found this like jacket and it has like a, like a cat holder like where the pockets are. <laughs> nice. And so like I'll stick my um, animal like my cat in there and so I'll just be walking around like with him like his head popping out. Nice. And like it's the most funniest thing ever, but like that thing like that jacket's lit. And, like, so, <laughs> I agree. I don't, I thought it was just kind of fun. Like you were like, oh my god, you got a jacket for your cat. Like I was just like, hell yeah. This <laughs> all right cat jacket that's you, so you think people need to walk around with clothes equipped with pets yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, one of my, that's one of the best little insiders we've had in a while and that's a hard one to follow okay but let's go over to kareem kareem what do you have for your little insider kareem kupchandani yeah. so i'm in the midst of an all india drag tour and so ah, yes if you want to see more of it you should follow my instagram at Lahore Vajistan. <gasps> Lahore Vajistan. Oh my God, that's amazing. People need to see me. Yeah, they do. Thank you for being on my show. I mean, even if you're not into drag, Lahore Vajistan? Everyone should be into drag, but yeah, they have to see it. <laughs> that's another one. That's another tough one to follow. Okay, this is an amazing little insider, but all right, let's go over to Stefan Pennington. Uh, what have you got for us? I have a thing that is on, on, on brand. I don't think we can get more <laughs> on brand than we are right now okay but i mean you guys are the best guests ever this is the best little insider so what's yours i just started a new workout oh perfect that is from uh derby i believe is the website it's called hero's journey uh-huh it's a 60-day workout routine that is also a role-playing game mm! i just nearly spit up you should never drink on the air that's genius yes each day you have some sort of it's mostly a lot of body work uh, although there, you can also do uh, weightlifting if you're using a hammer to defeat the enemies. As I um, want to and do. So, for example, I had to fight a dragon, which involved a lot of squats, as it turns out. <laughs> well, obviously, right? Um, I think to dodge dragon fire. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you're doing... like to That's each like, okay, you have to, It's pretty amazing. Like, you have to climb this mountain. If you climb the mountain, that's a lot of mountain climbers. Oh, right? my God. My inner nerd is so happy. I'm sold. I'm sold. Are you getting results? I am. I'm really enjoying it. And also you get points depending on how many sets oh, you do. Sick. And uh, there are also choices. Like, do you want to um, do you want to try to save this person or do you want to leave them to the side? And there are like consequences. Like maybe you have to take an extra set that is, down the line. That's, yeah. Oh, this is this is the best workout I've heard of in like decades. This is phenomenal. <laughs> in fact, I think I need to do this for an entire episode. You heard it here first, folks. I'm doing an episode. Stephen, get me this information, please. Oh, Oh, I will. I will. Yes. <laughs> and and that's the big inside. Mac Beggs, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, no problem. I, I, I appreciate having you out. You seem like a pretty chill dude and what you're doing. Well, thanks, man. So 
I, no, like, I appreciate that. Yeah, just helping out the world. Anybody else I can help out, I can in any way. You're an amazing guy, dude. And Kareem, it was great having you on the show. No, no, no. What, whatever is good, useful to you, I hope. I hope something in there works for you. Oh, dude, definitely. And I hope we get to talk to you again. Sure. Be well, man. Take care. And of course, Stefan Pennington, thank you so much. And I, just like Kareem, I hope I get to talk to you again soon. All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye. And that, that is our show. That's The Big Inside. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced, as always, by the Physiculture Collaborative, who are also often distracted by Harper in the hallway. Harper! Harper! <laughs> Music in today's episode was all Creative Commons licensed and created by Middle Mountain, Lobo Loco, Dark Room, Little Glass Men, Kabbalistic Village, Raphael Crooks, Improbable, FSM Team, Kevin McLeod, Small Colin, and Steve Coombs. Please check out all these genius artists online at places like Bandcamp and YouTube and SoundCloud and the like. Their work is not only incredible, some of them are also even friends of mine. That's the workout for your ears this time around. I'm Christian Mady, aka XN for The Big Inside, reminding you that no matter what you do on your outside, what makes it big is what's found on the inside. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. The Big Inside is brought to you in part by Scorpio Creative. Business is full of big ideas. So, how can a little business bring big ideas to life? More importantly, how can you attract customers to your next big idea? Scorpio Creative is a boutique design, branding and market consulting firm that works with the little guys like you to make your ideas shine like the big guys. Scorpio Creative establishes a custom, personalized partnership with your small business to strategize and manage all your branding, design and promotional projects. Why not treat your next big business idea with the same level of branding impact that the big guys have, but at a fraction of the cost? Let's bring your ideas to life. Visit Scorpio Creative today at scorpiocreative.com.